Accumulus Station. Now, 104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. The telephone number this evening is 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. We're live in the Music City on a Thursday. Jimmy Harper, the man behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me, making me sound far better than I would otherwise. And I start off every night the same way, even though last night I somehow overlooked it. I am blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize just how blessed you are in your life as well. I hope this finds you and yours doing incredibly well. My DMs are always wide open on Twitter at jmartzone to have a faith-based conversation. If I'm not the one to have it with you, I hope you find someone in your life that you can trust that you can have it with. So there's a lot happening in the sports world. Yesterday, we spent an hour taking the best quality phone calls I've ever taken in radio, period. That means my Fox Sports Radio show, uh, anytime that I've done producing work, and certainly here on the Big Six, yesterday was the best collection of phone calls I have ever taken on Steve McNair and Eddie George and their numbers being retired and me asking a, a, a question that, well, it's just, it's an, it's an intriguing one to look at. And I thought that people were going to be coming from one angle and they mainly came from the other, which was one or both. Are they NFL hall of famers in your mind? And I didn't want you to say yes or no. I expected most people would say yes because there's bias and there's all sorts of other things, but I wanted to know why. And most people, the vast majority that called this show last night, said no and made compelling arguments. And those were just fantastic calls. If you called the show last night, there wasn't a single call that was not impressive last night on this program. There are many occasions where we don't take calls on this show. But last night, it was to our benefit to open up the phones and let you guys talk because... Again, as a transplant and someone that's not from here, that moved here in May of 2017, you guys have a viewpoint on this that I can't. I actually wrote, and this was published on the Big Six blog about an hour ago, I finally found a way to pay tribute to Eddie George and Steve McNair from the perspective of someone who did not grow up here and is not a diehard, lifelong Tennessee Titans fan. And I sort of in broad strokes talked about it last night on the show, but I wrote in detail about it. And you can find that at the Big Six blog where I'm the editor-in-chief. It's 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. Yesterday, I wrote about Kevin Durant and his injury. We're going to talk about about that here momentarily. So a couple of days in a row of sports-based columns over at 1045thezone.com. I hope you will check those out. Tonight, 8 p.m. Central Time, Warriors-Raptors Game 6 in Golden State. At Oracle Arena, win or lose, the last game that will ever be played in that building as Golden State's moving from Oakland to San Francisco. 
into what's going to be the most state-of-the-art, most like beautiful building in all of pro sports next year. So the question is, does this series expand to a Game 7 on Sunday night in Toronto, or does it come to an end tonight? After what we saw on Monday, that answer should have gotten simpler because the Raptors have been the demonstrably far better basketball team with the Golden State Warriors hampered with no Kevin Durant and with Kevon Looney banged up. And even Klay Thompson's not 100%. If you want to really make an argument for the Warriors, you're going to have a hard time doing it. I know they won game five on the road. I understand this. But think about the fact that they made 23s in that game. They shot a ridiculous percentage from downtown, and they won that game by one point. Just one. Kevin Durant gave them an eight-point cushion before he ruptured his Achilles, and they won the game by one, shooting an all-time high percentage from three. And it wasn't just the usual suspects. It was also Iguodala and Draymond Green. Everybody took a three. DeMarcus Cousins. People were out there just shooting the lights out of the basketball, and they won the thing by one. And the Raptors had an opportunity to win it. Lowry's shot was deflected away by De- by Draymond Green. The NBA announced yesterday, and these are just obnoxious. Mark Gasol got fouled in the final minute. He should have had two free throws and didn't. There are any number of things you can look at. You can point back to Nick Nurse calling that timeout when the Raptors had the big lead because he saw that Kawhi Leonard was gassed. Even though Kawhi wasn't saying calling timeout, Nick Nurse wanted to make sure because Kawhi Leonard has really looked tired for the last two series because of how hard he's had to play at times carrying this team early on. Now they're starting to kind of wake up and carry their own weight. He's not having to do it all himself. But they're going to need a lot of Kawhi tonight because the Warriors are playing with added inspiration on multiple levels. One, this building, Oracle Arena, is going to be rocking unlike maybe ever before because of the history and the fact that it's the last game in that building. This entire run for the Golden State Warriors, four finals in five years and three titles, it's all come in that building. There's so much history for the players on the floor and the fans in attendance that the atmosphere is going to be unique in that respect. And it's a do-or-die basketball game. The Warriors lose, then they're going to close their building with a loss. They're going to close their building watching the Toronto Raptors celebrate their first-ever championship on the opposing floor, on the Warriors' floor. And I can imagine Golden State doesn't want to see that happen. Of course, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to see it celebrated in Toronto either. And then there's the Kevin Durant side of this, where now there's added inspiration for the Golden State Warriors to win and take the Larry O'Brien trophy to Kevin Durant, the man that Clay Thompson said following the injury on Monday night was, quote, the best in the world, unquote, to take that trophy to him for all that he gave the team, risking his own health, coming back, I say too soon, from, I say, a partially injured Achilles that was never a mild calf strain. Not that they misled anybody, just that this thing was more serious than indicated. And the article that I wrote about Kevin Durant yesterday quoted David Chow, pro football doc, and talked kind of in detail 
about how we look at these things and don't often know what it is that we are talking about. And he kind of contextualized it in a better way than certainly we could have. As somebody that worked as a team doctor in the NFL for 17 years, he's able to take this from a perspective that we can't. He's able to see this and look at it more objectively and understand the injuries. And here's what he said, and this was quoted in my article, but he wrote this for the San Diego Union-Tribune on Tuesday. Quote, No one from the outside, including me, can know for sure, but the evidence strongly points to the original injury and the new one to be related. On a simplistic level, if your car breaks down and you take it to the mechanic to have the carburetor fixed, and then on your first big road trip your car has trouble again, the chances are good that it is related to the original issue. It was 33 days ago that Durant was said by the team to have a calf strain. My suspicion all along was Achilles injury, although it didn't seem to be a full tear. This was based on video analysis and subsequent images of Durant icing his leg down low in the region of the Achilles. Please note that I am in no way being critical of the Warriors or their medical staff. Calf is not technically wrong as they did not say calf muscle and the Achilles can be considered part of the calf lower leg area. And this part to me was fascinating. The team doctors do not give the verbiage to reporters. The team makes that call. For example, we see NFL teams all the time say shoulder when they mean season-ending pec tear. Again, to be clear, I'm not saying the doctors misdiagnosed a potential Achilles as a calf. The likelihood is they knew exactly what was going on, but that does not get translated to the public. The first time Durant made an explosive move Monday, he had a classic Achilles injury. People in their 40s and 50s tear their Achilles because the tendon is weak. Professional athletes tear their Achilles because their calf muscle is strong and contracts too quickly for the tendon to lengthen, and it tears. The theory here, not fact, is that Durant had some partial injury to his Achilles that the Warriors knew about and treated appropriately with over a month's rest and made a calculated risk-reward decision that didn't work out. One thing you learn from Chow right there is what we don't know which is a lot. I read from Brian Windhorst. He said that Durant, the team, and the doctors were all on the same page as it related to the injury on Monday night. You heard Steve Kerr yesterday say, hell yes, if we had a chance to do this over again, we would. But we didn't know that Kevin Durant could hurt himself any further doing this. And technically, that's accurate. Although the overcompensation on that first injury is the kind of thing that leads to the second injury. And that's unfortunately what we saw. So we don't know, and we're not going to levy blame. If you want to look, Charles Barkley did it. I played that audio for you a couple of days ago. People did. We have to look at the guys that are on the floor tonight in a game six that's do or die for the Warriors and really could be do or die for the Raptors. If this thing gets to set, the Raptors want no part of the Golden State Warriors in game seven. A lot of guys on that roster, plus guys on the sideline that have won championships for Golden State. Toronto has Danny Green, okay, and then they've got Kawhi, who I think is the best player in the world. It's 1A and 1B with him and Kevin Durant. Durant's not going to be playing tonight. So Kawhi Leonard needs to go out there and have one of those 30-point games. He had 36 when he needed it a couple of games ago. That's what they need again here. Clay Thompson's numbers, and I'll get to these after the break, are absurd from three. Just absurd. And that's actually a word that I usually use. But in this case, 
It's actually in the headline on ESPN.com about Clay Thompson's three, about how absurd he is playing. And again, if you want to make the case for Golden State because they won in game five, they won by one. They made 23s and shot 47% from three. That was just the third time a team won a finals game with more made threes than twos and just the fourth time that a team won a finals game despite making 18 or fewer twos. That from ESPN Analytics. And they won by one. They made 23s. They shot nearly 50% from three, and they won the game by one and had multiple opportunities in the last 90 seconds to lose. It took a three from Thompson, a three from Curry, and a second three from Thompson to erase the lead. They did what they had to do to get the advantage, and then Toronto kind of self-destructed. Can they count on something like that again? That was historically great shooting, and they won the game by one. I can't make that point enough. Tonight at 8 o'clock, the ratings should be through the roof, even without Durant, because there's so much. There is a very, there's a richness to the narrative surrounding this ball game tonight. And there's really nothing else. I mean, U.S. Open's going to be done for the day by that point. And although we've all been watching that all day long and people kind of carving up Pebble Beach, at least to some degree, I like my U.S. Opens at about minus one. We've got guys at minus five right now. And, of course, Kepka and Tiger are on the course as we speak. But they're going to have it all because the Stanley Cup came to an end last night. Baseball, it's June. Nobody's really paying attention yet outside of, like, Yankees and Red Sox fans. I'm checking the Braves box score, but I'm not watching nine innings. Most of you aren't either. So ABC should have a huge rating tonight for this basketball game. And the storylines surrounding it off the court might be just as interesting as what we're going to see on the court. The thing about Kevin Durant's injury in game five, it certainly didn't make that game less entertaining. That was a fantastic sporting event to watch. There was drama. There were uh, unforeseen circumstances. There was the crowd situation after the Durant injury. Maybe that's something we can talk about again. Maybe it inspired the Warriors. It will be what people will talk about if Toronto loses this series. But Toronto's in the driver's seat. All they got to do is win one tonight. Golden State's got to win two. One of them has to come on the opponent's floor. Last couple of games have been won by the road team. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. I think it comes to an end tonight. I think the Raptors close this thing because Kawhi has no interest in seeing a game seven, and he's not the kind of guy who's going to be afraid to close. I'm going to tell you about Clay Thompson's stats when we come back. He's the guy you need to watch tonight, maybe most of all for Golden State, because what he's doing from distance is outrageous. We'll do that next. This is the big. It's hard to stop a train. 104.5 The Zone. Your home for NASCAR. Saturday, tune in for the M&M's 200. Truck racing from Iowa starts Saturday at 7 on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They're dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse. They're the rent estate company. My name is Jason Martin. I am on Twitter at jmartzone. Jimmy Harper, my producer this evening. Four guys tied at minus five at Pebble Beach. Tiger Woods minus one through nine. 
Jordan Spieth plus one. I've lost track of Kepka. At one point, he was minus four. He may have dropped just a bit. But I want to go back to the NBA Finals, which tip off in about an hour and 40 minutes from right now. Huge game. Last game in Oracle Arena. Golden State loses. Well, they're done, and the Raptors are celebrating. We saw St. Louis celebrate a championship for the first time in a long time last night. Certainly, the Blues have never seen it until what we saw. And Bennington was utterly ridiculous in that game. Only person better than the goaltender for St. Louis last night was Doc Emery. The best in the business by a long shot. I'm sad I can't get to listen to him for the next handful of months. Just can never get enough. Would let it would would love to hear him call just about anything. But this thing about uh, this is a guy you need to watch tonight. Clay Thompson is who you need to keep an eye on tonight. Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the league. Now Clay's doing a nice job on Kawhi when he's on him defensively. Kawhi's struggling a little bit more, and Kawhi is beaten down just like Clay Thompson is. I tweeted this stat out from at Jmart Zone just a little while ago, and I did get it from ESPN. But this stat, when I read this, I just stopped. Like the record skipped completely off the player to the extent that I'm afraid it scratched the record for good. This is mind boggling. Clay Thompson, if he were to shoot 0 for 15 from three tonight, he would still be shooting 40% from beyond the arc for the series. That's how good he's been. I don't even know what to say sometimes when I read stats. And you can make stats read whatever you want. You can't make this one read anything other than, holy cow, that guy's playing great basketball. And he's hurt, too. Remember that. He missed a game in this series. And so maybe he doesn't even have the lift on his jump shot that he might otherwise. And he's out here just draining threes. I mean, every time he shoots right now, it just feels like it's going to go in. Again, 0 for 15, if he were to shoot that way from three tonight, 0 for 15, still would be shooting 40% for the series. I looked at a few other analytics. He was expected from the field goal percentage ratio to shoot 45.4 for the series. He's shooting 65.8. That is 9% higher than anybody else in the series. It's a 20.4% difference from what was expected and what he has done. And there have been six guys in this series that have taken at least 50 shots. Clay Thompson's taken 73. He's made 65.8%. Steph Curry's taken 111. He's at 51.4. Kawhi at 50.5 on 97. Pascal Siakam, 50% on 80 shots. Kyle Lowry, 46.9 on 64. Draymond Green, 46% on 50. Let me repeat that again. Clay Thompson, 65.8% expected field goal percentage and efficiency rating on 73 shots. And this per second spectrum, there have been 13 players in the series who have tried at least 20 shots. And of those 13 guys, Clay Thompson is taking the hardest ones. He's taking the toughest looks. That's based on shot location, defender distance, and other situational factors. His defense has been great, but what he's doing from a shooting standpoint is just outrageous. So if he is on fire again early, that can really help Golden State. Now, he's played pretty well throughout these finals. Remember, he had 28 points in a game he came back from in game four, and they still got beat pretty summarily. But the Raptors, it just feels like it's going to be harder to beat Golden State tonight than it has been at any other point in this series because of the emotion involved, 
because of rallying around Kevin Durant, maybe because of the fan reaction if they wanted bulletin board material. There are a number of things that you look at, and then you look at guys again with Toronto that just have not been there before and have not had to experience this. And it gets back to the same question. Can Kawhi carry these guys if need be? The first quarter in Golden State a few games ago, everybody not named Kawhi Leonard went one for 13, but Kawhi made 14 of the 17 points and kept him in it. Finished with 36 on that night, and they needed him. And he helped them, and then they woke up and started making shots in the second half. You can't afford, if you're Toronto and Nick Nurse, to keep Pascal Siakam on the bench for the final nine minutes of the fourth quarter. That's still something that I didn't realize was happening until the game was over. And even though Gasol was playing well and Ibaka was playing well, seems like you'd want to get Pascal Siakam out there. He had 12 points in that game and then didn't play the final nine. And they lost by one. And he's an all-star level player who's only getting better. Wasn't having his best night, but you feel like you'd want that guy in there in some ways. He's not exactly a defensive liability. He might not be Klay Thompson. He might not be Kawhi Leonard, but he's still going to be able to get the job done more often than not. So you're not going to have Durant. The question, And I guess you're not going to have Durant on the sidelines either, sort of wishing them on, but you will see. No question about this on social media. You'll see something of him backing his boys. You saw the Instagram post from him, which again was very, very careful in its language to exonerate Golden State throughout this whole deal and backs up Brian Windhorst reporting and others that have said that they were all on the same page on this thing. I think that they may have known that there was a little bit of a risk here, but they were willing to do it anyway. And this is a good play by Kevin Durant to kind of reverse this because for so long he felt like a heroic figure, somebody that you really liked kind of mild-mannered but a killer on the floor when he was in Oklahoma City. And as soon as he got to Golden State, it seemed like he was very sensitive to the extent that Ennis Cantor, who played for the Knicks and played for the Oklahoma City Thunder at different times in his career, said Kevin Durant going to New York is not going to work because he's too emotional at this stage of his career. He cares too much about what people think. How is he going to handle the media environment in New York? Well, right now, everybody's looking at Kevin Durant differently. They're looking at a sympathetic figure, and a lot of folks have egg on their face, and they're still trying to clean it off from suggesting that he wasn't tough enough or didn't actually want to play, which is something that we have to stop doing. All of us must stop jumping to conclusions based on incomplete information and just not knowing what the heck we're talking about. That's why I read that lengthy part of David Chow's article and tweeted it out a couple of days ago, and certainly at my piece of the Big Six blog, you can read the other stuff. But it's not a cut-and-dry answer necessarily, but the problem is so many guys want to be first with this information as opposed to being right. I can be guilty of that too. There are a lot of people that want credit for being the first one to say this and say that. It's like we've learned nothing from the tortoise and the hare. I would rather be the tortoise and win the race than be the hare and then be proven to be Jason Lockhart for 10 minutes later or 10 hours later. And not just Jason Lockhart for but well, it's low hanging fruit. So I went with it. The Golden State Warriors are going to make this tough. Their fans are going to make this tough. The atmosphere is going to be huge and the Raptors are going to need a good start. I don't think the Warriors are going to come out too hot. I don't think that they're going to come out 
moving too quickly or trying to do too much. I think they're going to shoot it well. Steph probably shoots it well tonight. I see no reason to think Clay's numbers are going to drop either. So Kawhi's going to have to match them early, and they're going to have to not turn the ball over. When the Warriors are struggling, they're turning the ball over a lot. They are a sloppy basketball team because sometimes their minds just aren't right. Their minds are going to be right tonight. The Raptors can't afford to turn it over. They're going to need to get something by they, I mean the Warriors in this case, are going to need to get something from DeMarcus Cousins. And he played well in Game 5, and he played well in Game 2, and he was putrid in Game 3 and really bad in Game 4. But they're going to need him badly. I don't know what they're going to get from Looney if Looney can even play. Remember, he's one-armed. He can't even raise his right arm really above his waist. He's in that much pain. If you see him on the floor, you will see him grimacing. That's not his natural look. That's just how he looks because he's in that much misery on the floor. So there is a lot to look at tonight. If this thing goes to Game 7, all bets are off because there's a heart of a champion in one locker room, and then there's one guy that really has the heart in what would be the home team's locker room. So really, it's all in the marbles. I think whoever wins Game 6 might actually win this series. Toronto should win tonight, and they can win Sunday. But if they don't win tonight, it's going to be really hard for me to say, they're still going to get it done on Sunday because road teams have been winning in this series. And I think that continues. I think the Toronto Raptors will be your NBA champions in about mm, five hours from right now. We'll be right back in about five minutes. Titans' three biggest question marks happen to be their last three top ten draft picks. We will discuss. This Monday, be part of 104.5 The Zone's 2019 Golf Classic at Champions Run Golf Course just outside Murfreesboro. Spend the day away from the office and tee off on one of the most beautiful courses in the Middle Tennessee area. The morning flight is sold out, but a limited number of afternoon foursomes remain. A portion of the proceeds will benefit Fight DMD. To get more info or to purchase your foursome today, visit 1045thezone.com slash golfclassic. This is the Big Six. This is 104.5 The Zone. I am Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Some good interactions from some of you this evening. So I don't know that this is where you want to be as an NFL franchise. And we hopefully will get some answers to some of these questions. And there are others. But I would argue that the three biggest question marks for the Tennessee Titans entering the 2019 season as minicamp wrapped up earlier today, the three biggest question marks on the field are these last top 10 picks, these last three top 10 picks. Marcus Mariota, number two. Corey Davis, number five. Jack Conklin, number eight. All of them top 10 picks. And as of today, I don't know that we know very much about any of them. The only thing that we know is what we don't know. One thing that I have read over the past year and have really tried to think about throughout everything going on in my life is that real wisdom is understanding what you don't know, accepting what you will never know. And so the wisdom about the Tennessee Titans, as minicamp comes to a close, and now we're looking towards the 2019-20 season. Boy, it's going to be here before you know it. The wisdom 
meaning what I don't know and what you don't know about this team, is what we can really expect from any of these three guys. And that's a pretty difficult spot to be in because the Titans reside in a really competitive deep division in the AFC South. Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, Jadevian Clowney, DeAndre Hopkins, that crew down in Houston. Now, the front office looks like it might not be particularly well put together, but that team's got a lot of talent. And they're ahead of the curve. The Colts are way ahead of the curve with what Chris Ballard's doing. If Andrew Luck stays healthy, T.Y. Hilton's the number one receiver for him. They've got underrated tight ends. Ebron had a great year last year. Jack Doyle's a, si- a solid addition and has been since he, since the Titans decided not to keep him or hoped that they would be able to get him on the practice squad, and the Colts snatched him up a handful of years ago out of Western Kentucky. Their defense with Darius Leonard, they've just made good moves. Quentin Nelson on the offensive line, they're sort of the class, and you look at them, and they could be a real trendy Super Bowl pick. The Chiefs are going to be the betting odds favorites, but you look at the Colts, they were right there on the doorstep last year, and it felt like they might have been ahead of schedule. So this year, I don't think that they're going to fall back into the pack. So let's take a look at these three guys. I'm not going to say as much about Jack Conklin. I'm going to have my buddy Jeff Schwartz, who played offensive line for eight years. I'm going to have him on in the next couple of days, whether it probably won't be tomorrow. It'll probably be at some point next week. And we're going to go into Jack Conklin because he has real thoughts on Jack Conklin. They're not flattering thoughts. Not that Jack Conklin is a bum, but that he's not as good as he looked in his first year, and he has reasons to back that up. So let's look at the other two guys. Marcus Mariota, four seasons, 56 games, 55 starts. He's 27 and 28 overall. So under 500. 69 touchdowns to 42 interceptions, but in the past two years, 24 touchdowns to 23 interceptions, just one above 500. He has a 63.2% completion percentage. Not bad. 68.9 last season was by far the highest of his career. His yards per game last year was by far the lowest of his career at 180.6. 12,000 yards, a little bit over 12,000 for his career. He's rushed for another 1270 on 218 carries, which is equivalent to about 22.7 per game. So as with everything regarding on-field performance, relative to number eight. It's maddeningly up and down because there is definitely stuff to like here, and then there's stuff to go full-on Dwayne The Rock Johnson and cock the eyebrow here. Ultimately, though, the only numbers that really matter, and certainly the ones that are going to matter this season, are the ones next to the capital W and the capital L. Right now, as I said, 27 and 28, most of the damage was the rookie year. A terrible team that was able to get him in the two spot. That was a three and nine year. He's been over 500 every year since. But only once has it been anything more than one game. It was eight and seven. It was seven and six. Two years ago, he was nine and six. That's the one aberration where they had the really good year. So let's not ding him for the rookie year, okay? I'm going to take that out of the equation. I know people think that I'm negative on Marcus. I'm going to take the rookie year out and just look at the three years since. So I'm going to give him 24-19 and 19 as a record. And then he has the one playoff win over Kansas City. So not bad. And before we go any further about Marcus, let's talk about Corey Davis. Two years, 99 grabs for 1,266 yards and four touchdowns. A catch percentage of 55.9%. He started 25 games, 177 targets, 
In his first year, he averaged 31 point, or pardon me, 34.1 yards per game, but he dealt with injuries. Last year, 55.7. But this is the number five pick in the draft. And when you take a wide receiver that high, you assume that he's going to be a clear number one guy. In 07, the Lions took Calvin Johnson at two. That paid off. Remember Julio Jones and how the Falcons went up to get him pretty early. I went back through and looked at a bunch of the wide receivers that were selected high. Keyshawn Johnson went one. He had a long career in the league, but was mainly a possession guy. Irving Fryer went number one to New England in the 80s. He had a great career. And then you have to go back to the mid-60s to find somebody taken in the one and two spot. And then there were a few others through that point that flat out didn't pan out that I'm not even going to mention their names because you wouldn't even remember them. Probably in recent memory, one you'd remember is Charles Rogers out of Michigan State who went to Detroit and had a three-year career and disappeared off the face of the earth. But the Titans have not had a true number one at wide receiver in a very, very long time. Corey Davis did battle injuries. What's been around him has been inconsistent. Ask anybody. But you think that a top wide receiver should open up space for everybody else. And so we go back to Marcus and what I think is the most troubling aspect of his game, which is I never, ever see Marcus Mario to throw anybody open. He can find guys, usually in the middle of the field, when they actually manage to get free, but he doesn't actually throw a football to create the space himself for his guys. And it's his inability to throw outside the numbers for quick strike yardage even if it's small, that also makes this worse. To be the guy, it feels like you need some skills that I'm not sure I buy Marcus as having. Things I think we would have seen by now. Things he didn't have to do at Oregon. The learning curve in the NFL in terms of receivers running wide open, that only happens with the most elite OCs that can confuse defensive coordinators. And he hasn't had that. So the quarterback actually has to cause that result more often than not in the NFL. That's what you credit guys like Aaron Rodgers for doing, is throwing guys open. So the quarterback can actually cause the result for the OC that might not be able to do it himself. The big thing there is can, could. But in Nashville, that has not happened virtually at all with Marcus. And so Corey Davis rarely is out there putting his hand up to call for the football with any level of halo or cushion around him at all and coverage in the NFL demands anticipation as much as execution so being able to get yourself open you've got to know what's going to be there if you're a quarterback if I like if Marcus is going through this he's got to think all right if I put this ball right here and it drops into this spot in 4.2 seconds and he's in stride he's going to be open and he's going to be able to break away from this safety and he's going to have space to operate And even if Marcus is smart enough to do it, and I'm not necessarily saying he's not, it doesn't seem physically as a thrower, I've seen that from him. And that's the next step. That's how you become an elite-level quarterback. That's how you win football games for your team. Marcus ain't out here losing games. He's not throwing terrible interceptions. Now, he'll throw a couple that scare you, but he also make a couple of throws that will wow you. But it's the fundamentals of finding a way to open up the field for the wide receivers as opposed to the wide receivers having to somehow create separation against great coverage week after week after week on the NFL level that is leading to mediocrity for the Tennessee Titans. And so Jack Conklin, who we'll talk about a little bit more next week, Corey Davis, Marcus Mariota, the number two, the number five, and the number eight picks for this team over the past three seasons. Still, or the, or the, you know, this last handful of years, these big, big time guys. 
These guys remain the biggest question marks for this franchise, and you can't have that. There should not be question marks surrounding guys being taken that high, and I think that's led to what we've seen. A lot of malaise, a lot of mediocrity, and a lot of disappointment, or almost but not quite. We need to stop with the Titans being the almost but not quite franchise. This year, they need to actually exhibit the traits that take them from almost to the next stage. They need to reach the top of the staircase. Right now, they're still just sitting in the middle, not sure if they want to go up or if they want to go back down and just stay on the first floor. We'll be right back. Big six. STN.com. At home, at work, or in the car, Nashville's number one way to talk sports. The Sports Station, 104.5, The Zone. Chris Stapleton, Outlaw State of Mind for you. This is the Big Six. Hope your Thursday's going well. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can certainly rent it. Take a phone call here in just one second. I saw Mike Herndon of Music City Miracles. I really enjoy what they do. He put out a tweet a little while ago with the top 10 Titans on it, not including rookies, and not in. this is not a value deal because the quarterback's always going to be mentioned in value near the top, probably, you would think. But this is to- just talking about pure talent and where they stand in the league, maybe in regard to others at the position. From 1 to 10, Jarrell Casey, Kevin Byard, Taylor Lewan, Delaney Walker, Roger Saffold, Jayon Brown, Logan Ryan, Corey Davis, number 8, Cameron Wake and Malcolm Butler. Honorable mention, Conklin and Mariota. Two of the three guys that I just mentioned is the biggest question marks. And the reason I could say they're the biggest question marks is because the biggest amount went into them. The idea of giving up that high a draft pick, you need more than you've seen from them. The Titans believe, and I saw this in a couple of different places earlier today, they think Conklin's just going to dominate this year. They're going to need him to. But Corey Davis is your number five Overall pick a couple of years ago, and he's number eight on this list. Conklin was the number eight pick. He's honorable mention. Mariota's number two. He's honorable mention. That's not great. Let's go to Craig in Mount Julius. See what he has for us tonight. Craig, what say you? Hey, um, I just wanted to uh, to say thank you. You are dead on. I've been listening to you since your show started, and I've never called in or anything, but I wanted to say thank you because you are dead on on 95% of the stuff you're talking about. And at least from my point of view, and to have someone on the radio that we can listen to that can articulate on the platform that you have, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. That's all I wanted to say. Craig, I appreciate it, man. Your check is in the mail. Fantastic. There are two mantras on this show. There are two missions that I wanted to bring to this show when it started. We got a new thing that's going to start on Monday that's going to be part of one of these two missions. And this is true for anything that I am a part of, whether it's in, in written or radio. And it's not just me. It's all the people surrounding me. It's Jimmy Harper, and it's Ryan Mudd, and it's Ryan Albanese, and it's Brad Willis. It's all the fine hosts that have given me the support. And, it, you know, it's Clay Travis who gave me the opportunity uh, when I didn't have an opportunity a handful of years ago, my good friend. And there, there's so many people that are part of this. But the two things that I try to do on this show on a daily basis or anything I'm doing, number one, I'm not going to waste your time. And number two, I'm going to try and make you smarter. 
And that's not because I'm super intelligent. It's because I get smarter through this process, going through this, figuring out what I want to talk about, working it through in my head behind this microphone, listening to you when you call in, paying attention to your tweets. This is a rise all ships kind of brand, the big six, the pop six, all of it. Everything that I'm doing, it's a rise all ships. Because as you guys learn things from me, as I maybe make you think of things from a different perspective, you guys teach me stuff. And of course, I learn just by figuring out the information and where I'm going to go with it. So what Craig said means a lot just in that I'm glad that he views it that way. I'm sure not everybody. I would hope not everybody thinks I'm 95% right on everything, but I'm glad to have somebody out there that you know is carrying the torch. But you guys always make me think of things from a different perspective. If I come across with something fairly controversial, sometimes I've only thought about it from 50%. I need, and I think we all need to, always look at stuff from the side that you don't agree with. The best way to get good at arguing, the best way to debate, the best way to really be able to get into the nitty-gritty of a discussion, any discussion, is to be able to argue the point you disagree with. Like, you know how to articulate your own point, usually. But if you want to find a way to articulate it better, you need to be able to predict and just anticipate the objections from the opposite side. So if you could actually stand there disagreeing with it and make an argument for the opposing viewpoint, you're generally going to end up cogently putting out your own take in that same moment. And it's not going to be hot taken. It's not going to rely on personal attacks or ad hominem or anything like that. It's just going to be built on the facts because you know the facts on the opposite side. And sometimes you'll find out that the opposite side, maybe I should come a little bit closer to the middle on this because I can see this from your perspective. So John Gruden is not happy that the Raiders have been selected for hard knocks. Back on March the 10th, pretty much right after Antonio Brown was signed. I said, all right, so the Raiders are one of the five teams that the NFL can force to do hard knocks this year. And if they don't force the Raiders to do it, then we need to shut hard knocks down because this is a reality show, and that's what the Oakland Raiders are. They're not as much a sports franchise as a reality show. A casting director seems like it has put this thing together. I mean, you've got Mayock, who you know far more for media than anything he did in football. He had a cup of coffee, maybe a couple of cups of coffee in the NFL, but you don't know much about Mayock's career, but he's been good in the media. Good with the NFL draft on the NFL Network, good in color roles on Westwood One, and certainly what he did uh, for Notre Dame football for a time for NBC as well. But he's more of a celebrity than a football player, certainly. John Gruden, because of Gruden quarterback camps and Monday Night Football and the fact that he's never met a camera he didn't like, he's a celebrity as well. So John Gruden, to say that he's not happy about this, it's a TV show and he's a celebrity. Everything he's done over his pro football career as a coach and certainly what he's done in the media, and now being with this ridiculous Raiders circus and some of the things that he tried to argue last year, what exactly did he expect was going to happen? I haven't even gotten to the fact that AB84 is there and he made more news than basically anybody in the offseason, even more than Le'Veon Bell which takes real talent. Vontez perfect. I don't know what he might say, but we've seen his act on the field. Richie Incognito, who if they're smart, they will keep cameras as far away from as humanly possible. And that's not to even talk about Derek Carr, who just blocks you on Twitter 
if he feels like it. I got a lot of friends who have been blocked by Derek Carr that don't even understand if they've ever even used Derek Carr's name before. Folks, this is going to be HBO's best drama of the year. Or maybe it's best comedy. Fox Sports Radio is next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.